Great job, guys. We're free. Yeah, we're free. Larry, would you show that little video as we get ready to start our message this morning? A little video on freedom. Freedom. Liberty. It's something we celebrate. Something we take pride in. Something we have struggled so hard for and have so strongly defended. But true freedom? It's not something we attain or something we have to fight for. It's something we simply accept. God has already made us free through Christ. Free from our guilt and shame. Free from our past failures. Free from the chains of this world. Free from our sin. This freedom isn't something we can gain on our own. It's a gift we must accept from God. We are blessed to live in a country where we have these liberties that we celebrate, to speak our minds, to disagree, to meet together and worship God. But without the true freedom offered through Jesus Christ, it all means nothing, and we still remain slaves to fame, to money, to lust, and to self. But Christ has made us truly free, free to live out our true purpose, to glorify God, we no longer show glory to the things of this world. In everything we do, we glorify the only one who is deserving. Today, full of the freedom given us by Jesus, we do what we were created to do. We give God all the glory. Amen. It's a great definition of freedom, isn't it? We are free to live in a country that has the ability to be free to worship a God that we worship. And that's a freedom for us that can never be taken away. Even if the country were to become unfree, just so you know, you always have the freedom to worship your God. No matter what happens outside, we have the heart of freedom. This is the 4th of July. This is Independence Day. This is a day we celebrate our freedoms from the rule of England, and there's a lot of history there. If you're a history buff, this is probably one of your favorite days to go back and just study what our forefathers did. You know, and it took a number of wars. It took the Revolutionary War. It took the Civil War. It's taken many wars and battles since then to keep us free. And I wonder if we really appreciate that. I wonder if we really appreciate this morning how many lives were lost, how many sacrifices were made, how many families were destroyed while they battled for our freedom today? We sit in a very comfortable environment. We sit in very nice homes. We drive nice cars. We have good jobs. We have all these nice things. And I wonder if we really appreciate what went on before this to give us the ability to do what we do. So I'm just going to ask you for a moment, just, just bow your head. And let's just pause for a minute. And let's just get our minds focused on what really happened and how much we should appreciate that.
I think as we think these things through, we will see the very truthful fact that freedom is not free. Freedom came and comes with a cost, a choice, a conscious decision to fight for something that maybe we don't have right now. Or for us today, we have to continue to fight for it. We have a great opportunity and we have a great responsibility that comes with freedom. And that we are to use that freedom that we have with honor and respect and for us to recognize how we came about this. That we would never waste the freedom that we have. That we would never waste the the times that we have and the things that we can do. That we would understand the grave responsibility it is for us to make good and wise choices of our time that we are free to spend time with. Freedom means we are free to make a choice. You are free to make a choice. Now, when we think about freedom... And when we recognize that it comes at such a great cost and such a great sacrifice that we can truly begin to use that as a way to guard our lives as we move forward. Because the moment that I start taking my freedoms for granted, the moment that I start taking my freedoms like they're my rights to have and I'm going to waste it or I'm going to use it as I will, that is, a, that is the time when we can start to drift away into bondage of other sources. The moment that I stop appreciating truly what freedom is is the moment that I allow deception to come in for what other freedoms might look like that actually become bondages in our lives. We will serve something. Just so you know that, we will serve something. So what are you choosing to serve? You're going to choose to serve the God of this world or the God of heaven. There's really no other one. The God of this world comes in many forms, however. It comes in many variations with many different methods and methodologies and theologies, but, rec- but recognize that if you're, if you're not choosing to serve the God of heaven, I don't care what other form you are choosing to worship in, but it's the God of this world. <laughs> There's only two choices. You're only choosing God or you're choosing Satan. And he comes in many flavors. That's like the house of flavors. You know, 31 different flavors of ice cream. You can have any flavor you want of Satan. Any flavor you want of him, but he's only leading to hell. Now, we have to say it as straightforward and and simply as that. So this morning, we really need to embrace our freedoms, and we need to embrace and appreciate the battles that were won for our benefit and that so that we will continue to fight the fight that we need to fight for our families and our future so that we can continue to give them freedoms, freedoms in Christ and freedoms in this world. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we've experienced that this morning. We've experienced it, that when it comes to true freedom, the only freedom that really lasts is the freedom that we have in Christ. Thank the Lord we have all the free country, and that's great, and I appreciate that, and I, I need to appreciate it more, like we've been talking about. But I really need to know, and I really need to appreciate the freedom that Jesus gave us when he hung on that cross and he said, it is finished. When he said those three words, it is finished, freedom came that mankind had never, ever had before because there was no freedom in the law. The law just gave us the, the ability to know that we, were, that we needed something. We needed 
to have a Savior. The, the law just gives us acknowledgement of what sin is. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to make it real. He came to give it relationship. He came to say, I will deliver you from a spirit of law and bondage to a relationship with our Father in heaven through my sacrifice, through the blood of me on the cross. I will give you freedom like you've never experienced it before, and it will be relationship freedom. It will be emotional freedom. It will be experiential freedom. It will be freedom that we've never, ever had before or never will ever get anywhere else. This is the only place of true freedom. But even the devil, even, the, even Satan today, he, he is still fighting the fight. Do you know that? He, he, even though he was defeated macroly on the cross that day when Christ cried out, it is finished, Satan knew his day was up. But yet he is such a good liar, he deceives himself, and he is fighting hard to destroy my freedoms and your freedoms individually because he still has opportunity to come in and steal you away, to take you into the pit of hell with him because that's where he's going. And he ultimately knows that. I'm assuming he knows that. I really don't know what the devil thinks. But I am telling you that his, his fate is truly written in the Word of God. We know what his fate is, and it is not a good place. And for those that choose to be with him, that's your fate as well, unfortunately. That's where God created a place for Satan to go, and unfortunately those that follow him will follow him right into that place. It's called hell, and it's not a good place. But Jesus won the battle for our souls. He won the battle, and now we need to stay the course. It's a common trick of the enemy that he will come to us and he will try to convince us that there is no battle. That really there is no battle. That's the way the enemy would come to you. He would come to you and, and make you understand or make you think that you have the freedom to live in Christ, live as you want, and enjoy all you want because grace covers all your sin. And here's the, here's the amazing thing about it. Yes, there's truth there. Grace does cover our sin. But that's just the beginning Grace covers our sin, but then it fulfills it and it gives us the ability to live our life out that we don't have to live under the slavery of sin. Without that, I am, on, I am bound to sin because I have no freedom. Christ said, it is finished. I'm giving you a way that you don't have to live under the bondage of sin and that's called grace. Grace to forgive and grace to give you the ability to live successfully and victoriously under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we have today. Unfortunately, the world around us today don't, doesn't see it that way. Unfortunately, many just take the first half of that passage of grace. They say, grace covers my sin. And then they think they have the liberty to live any way they want to live and think they're free. That's bondage. When I'm living the way I want to live in the world, that's not freedom. That's bondage to the worldly system. That's bondage to what the, where the devil's taken me. And that's exactly what's happening. Why do you think we have such a passive majority amongst us today in our Christian world? We are so passive, and as the majority, we are so passive, and we let the minorities, the very small elements of our population, create such a fuss, and they will actually create the direction of our country because we, the passive ones, sit by and let it happen because we don't believe, according to the devil, there's no fight. Let everybody be who they want to be. Love them all. God loves them all. Yes, he does love them all. But he wants them to be children of God. And to be a child of God, we need to give up the freedoms of this world and take on the true freedom of Christ. So how do we, re how do we use our spiritual freedom to remain free? How do we use our spiritual freedom 
to remain free. See, when, the, you, when you accepted Jesus Christ on the cross, you were free. That's day one. But now how do you maintain that freedom? This is why Bible teaching is important. This is why coming to church is important because we can come up with our own theologies, our own methodologies about what does freedom in Christ mean. And if you're not centered on God's word, understand you're ripe for deception. You're ripe for a, a compromised word to come in to say, live this way and you're fine. And that way may be so, gent- so subtle that it might be taking you off the road just a little bit. But, you know, just a little bit of a correction angle here, you move out a, a, a few feet, a, a mile, or you move out time and it gets a very wide gap. And that creates the wide road. That creates the wide road that many are on. But Jesus said we come through the narrow road, the narrow gate, it's narrow, and only a few find it. That's what we're talking about today. So how do we do that? How do we live in it? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses, beginning at verse 3. And I'm reading this from the, New Living, or the, uh, the Living Bible Translation. It is true, this is Paul speaking, it is true that I am an ordinary, weak human being. That's what Paul said. Paul, in his own right, was no different than you and I. We are ordinary Weak human beings. But Paul says, but I don't use human plans and methods to win my battles. I use God's mighty weapons, not those made by men to knock down the devil's strongholds. These weapons can break down every proud argument against God and every wall that can be built to keep men from from finding him. With these weapons, I can capture rebels and bring them back to God and change them into men whose hearts desire is obedience to Christ. We are in a battle, but we cannot use human arguments. Janine said it. It was a great word that she gave us today. We cannot be the convincer. We can just be the declarer of God's word, and then the Holy Spirit does the work. But the Holy Spirit works as we declare God's word. There's a, it's together. There has to be truth taught, truth promoted in love, and then the Holy Spirit does the work of the conviction, and the Holy Spirit does the work of the changing. But, you can't, but they have to come together. You have to have truth and Holy Spirit. We're not fighting a human battle. Our battle is not against other people, even though so often it appears that way. Even though so often it appears that we're, we're one-on-one against another person, but that's not true. That's the way Satan wants it, us to look at it. He wants us to think that I'm battling you. So when he can convince me that I'm battling you, now I can have all kinds of offenses. And we've been talking a lot about offenses. We can have all kinds of gripes, all kinds of anger, all kinds of human emotions that are totally wasted on people. And we're missing the whole point of our warfare is spiritual. It's not against people. Our warfare is, against flesh and, is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spirits and against the powers of, and the authorities of this dark world. It's against the powers of, of evil, Satan. And I need to recognize that. And when I can, when I can take up that fight against the powers of evil, then I don't get caught up in what people are doing around me. That's why earlier when we were praising and worshiping, it's so easy to get caught up in what people are doing and, they, and if they're not acting the way I think they should act, that can be very distracting to me and it can be very hard for me to accept. But when I just close my eyes and I focus on who Jesus is, when I see the magnificence of who Jesus Christ is, all of a sudden it changes my demeanor. It changes who I am. It changes what my goals are. Because now I'm focused on Christ and him alone. And that means I can put away my foolish arguments of this world. I don't have to dwell on them anymore because my eyes are focused on Christ. There's freedom there. That's the freedom we're talking about. 
1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 and, 11 and 12. It says, But you, man of God, flee from all this. All this what? All this, he was talking about the love of money, talking about the, the, the gains of this world. He says, you, can, you are f- flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, when you gave your heart to Jesus, that's the fight that you are starting for the, for the rest of your life. Don't change. Don't give it up. That excitement, that passion you had for Christ, maintain that. Keep it stirred up in your life and flee from all the other stuff that would be a hindrance of that. Not to say living in a nice house is wrong. Not to say having a nice car is wrong. I'm not saying that. But just don't make that your pursuit. Make that a result of the blessings that God has given you. But make sure the blessings that God gives you gives you focus on righteousness and on godliness and on faith and love, endurance and gentleness. That's what we're to be pursuing. So this morning, I want to focus on three major areas where how we are to focus on remaining free. And these are areas that we all have. I want to talk about the pull of the past. I want to talk about the pain of the present and the fear of the future. Because those three things, if we don't know, if we don't have victory over those, if we don't have freedom in those areas, we will struggle much, much more than we do. Pull of the past. Many are stuck. Many are stuck in the bondage of their past, thinking that they're so bad, God can't forgive them. They can't release themselves. They can't forgive themselves. And I know we've had some conversations about can a person forgive themselves. Well, yes and no. I can't forgive myself so that I could go to heaven. But I can release myself from the poor choices that I've made that keep me in hell. Right? So yeah, I need to forgive myself. I need to move away. I need to take my eyes off of my past failures. That's forgiving yourself. I need to release myself from the things that I've done when I, before I was a Christian and even the things that I did yesterday when I was a Christian because I'm going to fall even in my Christianity and I cannot let the pull of the past drag me backwards. It's so easy to happen and people get bound up on it. They get, they get hung up on, on their past thinking that I'm just not good enough. I'm just not good enough. I can't, bake, I can't break through to the future. I can't get to the present. I can't break through to the future because my past is so bad. Let me tell you, that's why Jesus died. That's why he came. That's why he gave his life so that your past could be erased as far as the east is from the west. Don't let the past be anything more than just that, the past. What happened yesterday cannot hurt you today. What happened yesterday has no, benefit, no, no direct uh, direction on your tomorrow. It is just the past, and we need to let it be there. We need to not get focused on dealing with the past because when I focus on that so much, it becomes a pull to my present and, uh, and a distraction to my future. Many people are trapped and deceived because they're not good enough. Well, John, 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just. And what will he do? He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's huge, folks. Do you recognize how big that is? If we confess our sins, if I confess my sins, my God, your God, is faithful and he's just and he will forgive you and me all of our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. 
Hebrews 8.12, For I, God, will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. How does he deal with past? When they're confessed and when they're repented of, he never brings them up again. I will remember their sins no more. God is not forgetful. He's purposeful. And 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 purposefully, he does not remember your sins. It's like you never did them. When you're forgiven, you're completely wiped clean. You have a new start, a new beginning, and that's something we need to recognize. That's something we need to celebrate as freedom because so many of us want to drag our past with us into our Christianity. We want to drag it with us and say, oh, I'm just a poor old sinner. Well, you were a poor old sinner. Now you're a new man in Christ. You are not a poor old sinner anymore. Don't say that. Don't acknowledge that fact. You were a sinner, but now, no, you are not anymore. You are a righteous person. Romans 6, your old evil desires, your old evil desires were nailed to the cross with him. That part of you that loves to sin was crushed and fatally wounded so that your sin-loving body is no longer under sin's control, no longer needs to be a slave to sin. For when you are deadened to sin, you are freed from all of its allure and its power over you. Do you recognize how powerful that is? That when, when you are deadened to sin, that its desires are no longer have that control over you? Then he goes on, Paul, Paul goes on in verse four, 12 and 14. So then he says, how do we do this? How do we, how do we do this? Do not let sin control, this is not a living Bible translation, your puny body any longer. <laughs> Don't let sin control your puny body any longer. Do not give in to its sinful desires. Do not let any part of your bodies become tools of wickedness to be used for sinning, but give yourselves completely to God, every part of you, for you are back from death, and you want to be tools in the hands of God to be used for his good purposes. Sin never again be your master, for now you are no longer tied to the law, where sin enslaves you, but you are free under God's favor and mercy. Is there power in that or what? You know, I wish I was a preacher. If I was a preacher, I would be screaming and I'd be sweating right now. I'd, could, I'd be out of breath. If I was a preacher, I could. this is where you get excited. But I'm a teacher, okay? So I'm sorry that I'm not preaching to you. I'm teaching you. God's word says that I do not let sin control me anymore because I'm no longer under the bondage of sin. Somebody say amen. At least make me feel like I'm preaching. All right, amen. Good, thanks. (laughs) The past no longer has grip on you. You are free from your past. You are free men and women. That is something that we need to celebrate. Don't let the pull of the past pull you backwards, but move on. All right, now let's talk about the present. All right, because there are some that are fearful or, have, or are not free today in the present, even though we should be. There is pain and paralysis of the present. Pain is an interesting word because pain only has one state, and that is today. What I hurt me yesterday, it doesn't hurt me anymore because I can't live in yesterday. If I, I can't have tomorrow's pain because I'm not in tomorrow yet. So only today is pain present. Praying is present only in today's vernacular, only in today's timing, right? And there is pain of the present. And for some of us, we're afraid. We're bound up in the pain of the moment. We're bound up in how much, I'm, how much pain I'm in, either physically or emotionally or spiritually. 
we, or we become overwhelmed with the pressures and the expectations of what's placed on us in the moment, and we become paralyzed with pain. Well, there is some common sense ways to take a look at this. And I think it's good that we take a look at common sense a little bit because God's Word is on common sense. But here's one way to look at it. Take one day at a time. Live in today's pain and not tomorrow's pain. <laughs> Just live for what today brings because there is a promise that, that we're going to get through today and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But first we need to recognize that if I start placing all of my fears or the pull of, le- of yesterday and all the fears of tomorrow and I add that to the pain of today, it is so overwhelming and so depressive that I can't even get through today. So let me just tell you, take one day at a time. The old adage, how do you eat an elephant? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. You can't eat the whole elephant in one, one spoon, spoonful. No, you take, and that's the same with life. You take life one day at a time. Now, Jesus talked in Matthew about how we do this. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25. We're going to read quite a bit here, 25 through 34. Again, we're going to read this in the Living Bible. You can read that in your translation. But Jesus said it this way. So my counsel is, this is Christ, my counsel is don't worry about things, food and drink and clothes. For you already have life and a body, and they are far more important than what, you to eat, what, than what to eat and to wear. Look at the birds. They don't worry about what to eat. They don't need to sow or reap or store, store up food, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than they are. Will all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothes? Look at the field lilies. They don't worry about theirs. Yet King Solomon in all his glory was not clothed as beautifully as they. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he, be more, surely, won't he more surely care for you, O men of little faith? Now, I know when we read that, it, it becomes so, um, it becomes such a big, um, what's the right word? It becomes so lofty. It becomes so, frivolous almost to think that well i'm not a bird i'm not a flower so why am i comparing myself to that well i think what god's really trying to say here is that you know if we can learn to trust him like a bird trusts his wings to fly if we could just really learn to trust god and that's a process i realize that it's a process of learning to trust god but the more that i can learn to trust god the more i don't have to worry about my clothes the more i don't have to worry about tomorrow the more i don't have to worry about what i eat the more i learn to trust him because we're not perfect in it, are we? But the more we learn to, the less I have to worry about everything else because when I trust him, he will take care of me. That's his promise. Let's continue on. So don't worry at all about having enough food and clothing. Why be like the heathen? For they take pride in all these things and are deeply concerned about them. But your heavenly Father already knows perfectly well that you need them and he will give them to you if you... Give him first place in your life and live as he wants you to live. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. That's maybe the translation we memorize. But basically what he's saying is, put me first. Put me first in your life, and I will take care of your needs. I will take care of everything that you need in the moment if you seek me first. But so often we get it backwards. So often we think, God, i got to have all this stuff. I, I need this, I need that, I want that, I want that. And I'm more focused on what I want and what I need more than I focus on God. No, focus on God. Focus on who He is. 
Focus on his goodness. Focus on his love. Focus on his mercy. Focus on his word. And the more I focus on that, what might really amazing, the amazing thing that might happen is maybe your needs change a little bit. Maybe you don't need what you think you needed before. Maybe you'll be contented with what God gives you. And here's the thing. He's not limited in what he can give you. The quicker I can be content in what God gives me is the, probably the quicker that God will give me more. When I can say, God, I've, I've got enough. I just want, you, I just want more of you. When, I, when he can trust me with wanting more of him, I think what he's trying to say is when, when you trust me with that, I'll give you over here because I know your trust is here. But, if, but if, I can't, if he can't trust me with that, that if he gives me something over here, I may be distracted and go over here thinking this is my source when my source was over there. And so therefore, I have to prove to God, no, F- Father, my trust is in you and you alone. Thank you for your blessings, but I'm not going to let those blessings distract me. I'm not going to let those take me away from the purpose of today. And when I can get that into my life, then I don't have to worry about tomorrow. For verse 34 says, So do not be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow too. Live one day at a time. Jesus came to set us free and to release us from the oppression of the enemy in our lives in the moment. Yes, we live in the moment, but that's not where it's going to end. We live in the moment, but that's only a way to get to the future. And as long as the enemy can keep me bound in those moments of my day, the more that he can keep me in that area, then the more how he can uh, keep me from going to my future. Paul continues to write to us in the book of Romans about problems. Does this mean that we're not going to have problems in today? No, you're going to have problems. You're going to have pain. I'll just tell you that. You're going to have problems in today. But Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verses 18, He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We are to walk today in his purpose, in his love, in his direction, because he has a direction, he has a purpose for those things. And everything that's in our life today, as long as I'm focused on Christ, he works all things according to my good and for your good. All right. Then comes tomorrow. Tomorrow's coming, and that brings a fear of its own. So we need to be free from the fear of the future. Many people live today in constant fear of tomorrow. Maybe you're, maybe you're okay with the past. Maybe you're okay in the present. But maybe tomorrow just really gets you fearful because you just don't know what tomorrow holds, do you? We don't know what tomorrow brings. And when I take a look at around the world today, I can kind of see why we have this sense of frenzy going on because our political structure is very volatile. Never has it ever been so up and down. Our economic outlook is unstable, to say the least. We don't know really what tomorrow holds economically. The weather patterns, look at them. They're setting records everywhere. Floods, um, earthquakes, wildfires. It's just out of control. Wars, rumors of wars are unprecedented. Terrorism attacks all around the world. Any given day, you turn on the news, you don't know what happened last night. You just don't know. So there's a lot of fear that can come with that. But here's the deal. Thank God we don't have to fear the future because our source is placed on Jesus Christ, our foundation of our future, and we know that he controls it all. We know that he has all of the future into his hand. He knows the future just like he knows today because for him, it's all one scope. He sees it differently the way, see, he, the, way he sees, the way we see things. He sees it all-encompassing. I don't have to fear the future because I know who's in control of it. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. 
Paul speaks to the Philippians and he says, Now I have given up everything else. Paul speaking, I have found it to be the only way to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again and to find out what it means to suffer and to die with him. He says, Now I have given up everything. And that's the only way that I found, Paul says, I'm paraphrasing, that's the only way that I found to really know Christ is to really give up everything else. It's the only way I found to know Christ is by giving up everything else. I can't hold on to my selfish desires over here and know Christ over here. The only way I'm really going to know Christ is to give up everything else. That's what Paul's saying. That's what God's Word is saying. I wish it didn't say that. It'd be a lot easier to preach if it didn't say that. But that's what it says. So whatever it takes, verse 11, so whatever it takes, I will be one who lives in the fresh newness of life of those who are alive from the dead. I don't mean to say that I'm perfect. I love that. I don't mean to say that I'm perfect. I haven't learned all that I should even yet, but I keep working toward the day that when I will finally be able, when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. I keep working toward the day. My future is something that I can work for for the day that, that I can finally be what Christ saved me to be. Verse 13, No, brothers, I am still not all that I should be, but I am bringing up all my energies to bear on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. He's putting, I'm forgetting the past. I'm not dealing in the past. I'm not being paralyzed by the pain of the present. I'm putting my energies, I'm straining, I'm working hard, I'm, lean, I'm pressing into the future to reach the end of the race and to receive the prize that Christ is calling me heavenward to gain. My prize, my goal, my eyes are focused on heaven, on that eternal promise, that eternal place. And when I have that as my goal, my future does not have to be fearful. When I have Christ and heaven as my goal, my future can be whatever it come. Whatever happens here to me, it's a light and momentary problem, according to Paul, and I can press in and I don't have to let it be my bondage. Because my future, I'm working hard, I'm stressing, I'm working hard, and I'm, I'm putting my energies forward. Paul used time as a challenge for him. He set it as a goal for him. Not as something to fear, but he took it aggressively. Paul took the offense forward. He didn't sit back and let it and wait for it to come to him. So many times we wait and we get fearful waiting for what the future is going to bring. I recognize when I, when I was younger and played, played football, any contact sport you play, you, you're much better off if you're the one doing the running and hitting something than, rather than being the one being hit. I would, if, if, if Herman stood up here or if Calvin stood up or one of these bigger guys would stand up, I would rather run and hit them at full speed rather than stand and let them hit me at full speed. Because the one that carries the momentum is the one that is, it's easier on that person than the one getting the hit, right? Well, that's the way we need to look at the future. Many times we sit back on our heels, sit back on our chair, and waiting for the future to come racing at us to knock us out of our seat. Rather, what Paul's saying, no, I'm going to attack the future. I'm going to be the aggressive one. I'm going to move forward in the future, not fearing it, 
because I know who holds my future, so I'm going to strain to gain the prize. I'm going to be the aggressor of my future. I'm going to be in control of my future according to the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to let the future roll me over. I'm the aggressor. And as long as we take that approach, there's no room for fear. As long as I take that approach of the future that Jesus has given me because he's the center point of my past, my present, my future, I gain that with a, with, with a momentum and with aggression. And that stance will, will, will be the key to not fearing what the future holds. For those that fear the future, for those that fear the future, I can pretty much assure you that Christ is not in it. The key to facing your future is keeping Christ in it. When Christ becomes your center point, there is no fear. For those that fear the future is because Christ is not in it any longer. They left him in the past or the present, and they don't put him in the future, therefore they fear it. Understanding and knowing the power of Christ and who he is in our lives gives us that hope and the promise of, I know what's going to come ahead, and it doesn't, it doesn't scare me. I'm not fearful of it. Yeah, I don't always appreciate. Jesus didn't appreciate the cross. Can you say that? He didn't appreciate the pain of the cross, but the Bible says in Hebrews, but for the joy set before him, <laughs> for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame, sitting down at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for the saints. That's what he's doing. For the joy set before him, he looked at his future and he ag- aggressively attacked his future because he was looking at the joy that was set beyond the cross. The joy that was set beyond the pain of the cross is what he was gaining, and that's the same thing we have. We have a joy set before the pain of our death, whatever that death holds, whatever those days come to us as. I have a joy set before that, and as long as my eyes are set on that joy and not on the problem itself, so many times we spend more time telling God about how big our problem is rather than telling our problem how big our God is. And we'd sit there and we look at our problem and say, oh, God, look how big this problem is. God, look how big that mountain is. God, look how many bills I have to pay. God, look at my health. God, look at this. And here's the deal. God already knows it. He already knows. You don't have to tell him what that. He already knows about that. But what he's waiting for is for you to look up at him and say, wow, God, look how big you are. Look at how big you are. Look at how much mercy you have. Look how much grace you have. Look how much provision you have. And all of a sudden, the more I look up here, the smaller my problem becomes over here. Because God can handle my problems. Amen. Romans 8, 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to all this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things... We were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you can't take that into your future and be confident, then you haven't listened to anything that's been said today. Go back and listen to the word of God. Read the word of God and be confident in your future. Because 1 John 4, 4 says, Dear children, I have over, dear children, you're from God and have and overcome the world because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one is in greater that's living in you today that's greater than it's in the world today. Just so you know that. If Jesus Christ is in your heart, if he's in your heart, if you are a child of God, then this morning you have every right to call freedom 
and be true in it and not be worried about your past, not be worried about your present, and not be fearful of your future. Amen. This morning, I want to, I want to end the service today by taking communion because this is a great way for us to celebrate our future, that we would recognize that our past is what, are, what it is. We're living today in the moment, but yet our, our goal and our desires and our focus is on tomorrow, on the, on, in, in heaven, eternity, and what better place to do that around the communion table? No greater love, grace how can it be? Blood.